has something good for me today. You believe it? That's right. You got to come expecting. We're doing a study in the Gospel of John. Alex, throw that verse up as soon as you can. So you're going to see, I want to welcome everybody watching my live stream. Welcome everybody here. I want to encourage you to share the a stream. So I sent the wrong notes to myself this morning. Right? So I had to rewrite them all, which is not a big deal. It's just uh, I wrote them on paper and I took pictures of them. So I don't have all my verses in front of me. But guess what? We're going to throw them up on the screen. Right? You ever did that? It's like book report. The dog ate it. Where are your notes, Pastor? I don't know. The dog ate it or the cat ate it. So John 3, 1 through 10, uh, when you're ready, Alex, if you got it. If not, I'll read it from my other young here. You got it? Oh, he's got it. There we go. So we're doing the Gospel of John. We're in the third chapter. It says, so there was a man of the Pharisees. You guys can read it with me. Come on. You read your Bible today. You can read 10 verses of Scripture today. You can check that box. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. And Jesus answered unto him and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You should be happy about that one, ladies. Jesus didn't say, yeah, that's what's got to happen. Anyway, Jesus answered and said, truth, truth, or verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where from where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you a master teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? So that's the deal. So here we have this guy, this man that comes to Jesus by night, and his name's Nicodemus. So this is Nick at night. This is the first uh, episode of Nick at night. <laughs> True. So what's happening here, Jesus is at the Passover. He's been performing miracles at the Passover. While he's at the Passover, which is this massive feast and festival, uh, spring festival in Israel. And so while he's there, one of these religious teachers, whose name is Nicodemus, comes to him. And the Bible says that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So if you want to understand what's happening, Jerusalem was a political, religious, and economic center of the nation. And the people that were there, the Jews were divided primarily into four different sects or groups. And you thought high school was a clique, right? So, you know, there was all these different cliques. And the first, I'll give them to you, I'll give you the least, and then we'll go to where Nicodemus was. One of the groups was the Essenes. So the Essenes aren't really mentioned in the scripture. They're referenced, and I'll tell you where it's a reference to them, but they're not really mentioned in the scriptures. The Essenes were basically your end time preppers, okay? These were people who had a very apocalyptic vision, Right? They, were like, they had the attitude of keep your friends closer, close and your bomb shelter closer. This is kind of like where these people were coming from. You ever know that? Anybody got any friends that are preppers? Any, so anybody, in a, anybody a prepper in a room, they're kind of like, I, I, think, I think so. 
I do have that 10-pound bag of rice in a closet. I was just saving just in case, right? But these guys were apocalyptic, and they basically checked out on society, and they were waking, waiting for the coming of the kingdom, and so their vision of the kingdom was always apocalyptic. If you're familiar and you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found out in the middle of a desert, and in that desert, they were an Essene community. So they were this, of this group, the Essenes. They were the ones who checked out. They didn't live in the city too much. They lived on the outside. But they were in and around Jerusalem. They just weren't really there. Uh, a lot of people believe that John the Baptist was, one of, was part of the Essene community. Because A, John was never really in Jerusalem unless until he got arrested. And then B, all of John's message was apocalyptic. If you ever read John the Baptist, you know, the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. The Lord comes with his winnowing fan in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff and to purge his threshing floor. They, I mean, John's, everything John said had a very apocalyptic tone to it. So one of the sects or groups within Israel were the Essenes. The Bible doesn't mention them because they're irrelevant. You understand that? People that, you know, like you can prep and do all these other things and get prepared, but the Lord never tells us to check out on culture, Christian. He never tells us to check out and go buy a farm in the middle of nowhere and put 350 gallons of gas in the ground and a whole basement full of food and you're just away from everybody in the middle of nowhere with shooting lanes through your house. I've met those kind of people. They walk me through their house. They're like, see up here, Pastor? You walk in the front door and they're like, I want you to look at those two gun ports right there above the front door. Over here, we got another gun port. We can do a little a crossfire if somebody walks through the door. And they're walking me through everything, and they got, you know, bunkers and the whole nine. I've been around these people. I've been around more than one of them. Was around one community. There's a community up in North Florida, and they actually have a rapture field. <laughs> I kid you not. With a bell. I guess the trumpet's not good enough. They have a bell, ding, 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 come to the rapture field. And this group founded this community in the 70s. So this group, where are we at? We're in the 2020. So for 50 years, there's groups of people. Some of them were raised as children. I've been to this community. They've been waiting 50 years, apocalyptic style, living in trailers, living in a little enclave of a community, waiting for Jesus to come back, you know, with their hands out like this, trying to keep the big bad world away. We are to take the culture of the kingdom into the culture. This is what God's called us to do. You can prep, you can put your 10-pound bag of rice aside, all that other stuff, right? And if you're Cuban, you're going to put all the rest of the stuff there too, right? You're going to have your beans and your rice, and you're like, well, we can't have rice without... You know, beans. You know. I'm not going to say anything. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're going to already give me the recipes. I'm starting to hear the, the, the recipes are coming at me. Yeah, so th these were the end time preppers. They were really irrelevant because they didn't really do anything. They just kind of kept themselves separate. The second group is a group called Herodians. And you see these later in the Bible. The Herodians were Jewish, were Jews, but they were so culturalized with the culture that you couldn't recognize them. They wore the clothes, they acted, they talked. It's kind of like the Christian, like I met this Christian in the, in the grocery store, you know, or, 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 or I'll, give you another, I'll give you a better example. I was out on the beach one time and we were doing street evangelism back in the day and I had a power system out there and I don't even know. And I'm out there and, I'm, I'm, and everybody's gathering around. I guess they thought I was gonna sing. And so I don't know. I want to apologize for those of you who came to hear me sing. You know, anyway, but I went out there, and we had this sound system on South Beach. This is years ago. And uh, there's all these people are gathering around. 
And I'm like, Jesus has come to start a riot. And as soon as I said Jesus, the whole group went poof and like left, right? So I just started preaching Jesus on the street. At the end, I had one guy come up to me on South Beach. He's got, I remember this to this day, he had a bottle of Corona in his hand. And at the end, you know, there's a couple people, they all kind of went out to the peripheral and were kind of listening to me. Uh, there's another story to that, but I won't get into it. But this guy with the Corona comes up to me at the end while I'm packing up this stuff. He's like, um, hey man, I just want to let you know that I'm a Christian and uh, I support what you're doing out here, okay? And then he takes off. So this guy is a believer, but he's so culturalized, you would never know that he's a Christian. He's so inundated and so mixed up in the crowd and in the world. We don't wear camouflage, Christian. We wear armor, right? We're not ashamed of Jesus. If Jesus isn't ashamed of me, I, by God, I'm not going to be ashamed of him, right? I'm not going to use the name, the universal God. This is always the popular word with Christians. Well, I believe in God. No, I believe in Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is Savior, Jesus Christ is God, period. End of story. We're not gonna talk about God as you understand him to be, lest we offend anyone. His name is Jesus. We all worship the same God. Not if your God's not Jesus, we're not worshiping the same God. Let's be clear. In a world of confusion, the church needs to bring clarity. Clarity, not confusion. Pastors don't want to say they're pastors anymore. We're social architects. I'm a social architect. So you're an architect. No, 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 not really. I'm a cultural innovator. I'm a cultural innovator. So you're an innovator? No, you're a pastor. You're a Christian, right? You're born again believers. If Christ is in your heart, this is what you are. And Jesus Christ is God. Jesus said, I will not be ashamed to call them, to, to be, they will not, I will not be ashamed of them. We're so worried about being ashamed of Jesus. How about Jesus being ashamed of you? Does that concern you at all? Right? You confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. You deny me before men, you I will deny before my father. That should be a wake-up call. I got no issues with it. His name's Jesus. Right? <laughs> and so you have this group of Herodians who were so inundated with the culture, they didn't know who they were, or nobody really knew who they were. They were supporters of Herod, you know, supporters of Herod. The only time they showed up is at the end when they were trying to accuse Jesus. These four groups could agree upon nothing except that Jesus Christ wasn't God. You see it at the end of the gospel when they're working to crucify him and when they're working to, um, uh, to convict him or to uh, accuse him. You see the Herodians, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees all agreeing. These people never agreed. They never agreed with each other. So you have the sect of the Essenes. You have the sect of the Herodians. You have the sect of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the Jews who had really taken religion and formed it into a power base. They were in cahoots and cohorts with the Roman government. They denied the resurrection, they denied eternal life, and they denied angelic visitation, and all things supernatural. And I want everybody to say, that's very sad, you see. There you go. You want to know what a Sadducee is? They deny all supernatural power. They're rationalistic people. Understand? Church today denies everything supernatural. Angelic visitations, ha, <laughs> You know? The resurrection from the dead is probably the only thing we would disagree with the Sadducees on. The church has descended into rationality. All rational. Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees was direct. He spent almost no time talking to them. Almost zero. Do you know why? Because they were borderline irrelevant. They meant nothing. And he said, your error is twofold. You are ignorant of the scripture, 
which was a huge insult. And then the second one is you were ignorant of the power of God. And Jesus said, no further conversations. They denied the prophets. They only believed in the first five books of Moses. They denied everything prophetic. Sound like the American church? Sounds like it to me. They denied everything supernatural. No, no miracles, no nothing. Nothing. And Jesus said, your problem, you're ignorant of the scriptures. You don't know what you're talking about. And you're ignorant of the power of God. Very harsh, very direct rebuke to them. Jesus didn't even spend any time talking to these guys. But these were the ones who were in power. They had, they, would, uh, they had bought, the priesthood was run by the Sadducees. The Sadducees had no legitimate claim to the priesthood, none at all. They had purchased it from the Romans. The high priest, according to scripture, had to be a direct descendant of Aaron through the final priest, which at that time was Zadok. They had to be a direct descendant of the priest of Aaron through the line of Zadok. They weren't even, they, weren't even, they were barely Levites, let alone sons of Aaron. So Ananias and Caiaphas were illegitimate high priests. They were not legitimate. They claimed Jesus to be illegitimate, yet they're completely illegitimate. They had no right to the position that they held. They were not legal in, in, in the position that they held. The Sadducees controlled the Sanhedrin with wealth and power. And you have a group, another group, which is what Nicodemus was. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees were strict adherents to the law. Strict. These are your moralists. Right? So you have your basically your preppers, you have your, you know, whatever culture wants to do. We're just in the world, not of it. You know, we sing David Bowie songs on Sunday morning and we call it worship. You think I'm kidding? Right? That's what's going on. That's the, that's the Herodians. Then you got the Sadducees completely denying all aspects of supernatural power. And then you have the moralists, high and tight. Everybody in everybody's business, you know? They were moralists. They looked at everything through the light of the law. They looked at everything through the light of traditions. Nicodemus was at the top of the heap of the Pharisees. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the elite 70 council. He was one of the most educated men in all of Israel. He was an Old Testament master. Master. He was one of the three wealthiest men in Jerusalem. History tells us he was extremely wealthy. He was extremely powerful. He was extremely influential. He had everything, yet he had nothing. Let me say that again. He had everything, yet he had nothing. And he knew it. He knew it. Righteous according to the law, they would have to memorize huge sections of scripture. The prophets, they were to be masters of the prophets because the Pharisees believed the prophets. Right? They believed in the prophetic. They believed the words of the prophet. They believed in miracles. They just never saw them. Does that sound familiar? Well, Pharisees believed in miracles. They didn't have a problem with the miracles. They just never saw them. This is actually what attracted Nicodemus to Jesus because he saw the miracles. He says, no one can do what you do unless God's with them. This is, this, this is, like, this is like crazy stuff. I've never, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. They were strict isolationists, right? So here's a little story for you. What happened, so I want you to look at, the, you guys are gonna know your Bible. This is gonna be a biblically literate church if it kills me, right? You will be biblically literate. In a world of Bible illiteracy, you will be biblically literate and you will be accurate in the literacy of the scripture. <laughs> Another story. 
Second temple period, so you have the tabernacle, Solomon built the temple, temple's destroyed. Where Jesus is is he's in the second temple period. In the second temple period, in the history of Israel, they changed all the rules. They started making all these rule changes, started adding things, started doing all these different things. And one of the things that they changed is that the, the Pharisees in particular, they became strict isolationists. They believed everyone outside of their pure and purified and blue-blooded noble Abrahamic bloodline was accursed. They believed they were all goyim, which is a derogatory term, outsiders, unworthy, unacceptable. And so because they believed that, they became isolationists, even though the scripture commands them to go to the world. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, Micah, all of them tell them to go to the nations. And they were still doing it because Jesus rebuked one of the Pharisees. He said, you search all of the earth to find one convert. And when you do, you make them twice the child of hell as you are, right? The book of Acts tells us that Moses was taught in all of the cities. So they were still kind of doing evangelistic outreach missions in all of these cities and teaching Moses in all these cities, but their perspective of the outsider was that they were nothing. They were nothing. Priesthood had become diluted and had become politicized. They were the religiously elite. They were self-righteous, self-justified. Their positions, they viewed everything by social status. Well, how many Instagram friends do you have? right? Everything was social status, where they were in the sort of totem pole of society and acceptance. This is what they valued. No one justified them but themselves. They were just, that's, that's how they did it. They self-justified. They, 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 they loved money, and they loved their ancestry. They're all into that. We're direct sentence of Abraham. Here last week, I was talking about the temple, and only the blue-blooded Jews could go into the temple, the women had to stay outside and the Gentiles had to stay outside. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. Say it with me. Not in the Bible. Uh, Exodus says, there shall be one law for you and the foreigner. When the foreigner comes and they come, there's not a separate set of rules for you and a separate set of rules for them. The relationship will be built the same way. You are to integrate them. The women were not to be outcast, nor were the Gentiles to be outcast. They were but not according to the Lord. Told you last week, Jesus was in the court of the women. Hmm? They created a court, and they put the women in the court of the women. Not in the scripture. Ladies, stay out here. The men are going to go in. We're going to worship like men, right? Ah, ooh, manly, macho, right? Everybody was second class. And oh, by the way, if you're not a blue blood, Abrahamic, direct descendant, if you're some proselyte or convert from another nation, you can't come in either, and you don't even get to go into the court of the women. You gotta go to the court of the Gentiles. You gotta go even further outside. Not there. Jesus was in the court of the women, how do we know? Because the treasury was in the court of the women. And the Bible says he was, in the, he was in the courts, and he was looking at the treasury. Yeah? So Jesus is drinking a latte, hanging out in the court of the women, looking at what people gave. Two lessons there. Number one, you know, people don't think, that they, they don't think that Jesus cares what they give. Who told you that? He watched them. He watched what they gave because he was measuring their hearts based upon their offering. Where your treasure is. All right. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. What'd you give last year? I gave $25. Woo. Man, you love him a lot, don't you? Right? Try that on your wife and see how that works. Not going to work. Right? 
Try that on your boss. Try that in your revenue. It doesn't work like that. So they were, he watched the treasury. He watched what they gave. That's the thing. And then the second thing is Jesus was not adapting himself to their rules. He's in the court of the women. So I want you to imagine, if you're a dude, right? I want you to imagine this. Your whole life you've been raised with this mindset that women are inferior and Gentiles are inferior. And now you're walking with Jesus. You're raised in a society where social status mattered. And so the disciples would walk around with their chests out. Yeah, we're with Jesus, man. We're with the rabbi of the day, you know? We're with the rock star. We're with him. And then Jesus would take them to all these crazy places. And he takes them to the court of the women. And in their mind, they, had, they, would, they would never be in the court of the women. And so the, you'd have, the, you'd have the, the, the Jewish boys would be in there. Jesus is drinking a mocha spice latte. He's hanging out, watching everybody come in and go. In the court of the women. Say it with me. In the court of the women. Say it again. In the court of the women. This is important. The misogynistic, destructive church to, that, that takes these viewpoints towards women, Jesus has no such viewpoint. I got one woman on that. That's all I can get out of that. <laughs> He's there. And you got the disciples who are looking around going, man, I hope Uncle Jim doesn't see me here in the court of the women. Oh, man. They didn't want to be seen there, but Jesus didn't have a problem being seen there. He's lounging, the Bible says. The, the language is he was relaxed. Nobody dared talk to him. Do you know why? Because it was their rules, not his. This was not in the scripture. Every time he violated something that was biblical, they were right there. How dare you not wash hands? How dare you eat on the Sabbath? How dare you heal on the Sabbath? How dare you? But you see, he wasn't breaking any covenantal laws. He was breaking their religious laws and their societal viewpoints. Didn't have a problem. And so here you have... Nicodemus coming to Jesus. So there's two words in the Greek here. The first word, it's a Hebrew word, but rabbi. And what rabbi basically means is teacher or teacher of teachers. So for Nicodemus to call Jesus rabbi was to say, you are my teacher. Nicodemus was a master. He didn't have any teachers. He was at the top of the heap. He couldn't go to anyone else. Everybody came to him. But yet he saw someone in Jesus that was smarter than he was. And he went to him and called him rabbi, which is to say, oh, teacher, my teacher. And Jesus is going to teach him. She's like, you can call me teacher? Get ready, because I'm going to bring it, right? And he says, we know you're a teacher named of God. He uses the second word, diadaskalos, right? So the first one is rabbi. The second one is diadaskalos, which means bring forth. We know what you bring forth is of God. Because no one can do it. So there's the rabbi who was the teacher and the instructor, and then there was the diadaskalos, which means to bring forth. This is the manner in which God chose his people to be instructed. It's called didactic teaching. What I'm doing here today is didactic teaching. I'm taking something and bringing it forth. I'm pushing it into your life. I'm making it life applicable or making you connect to what it is. That's didactic. That's the way God intended his people to be instructed. And so Nicodemus is looking at him and not only saying, teacher, my teacher, he's saying nobody has ever brought forth what you're bringing. You know what he's bringing? He was bringing the kingdom. That was what he was bringing. Yeah, and they had never seen it. They had their own visions, their own perspectives, their own ways of the way it was. And Jesus says to him, unless you're born again, 
you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What is he doing? So here comes Nicodemus with all the honor. Jesus, he calls Jesus teacher. He's like, oh, you're gonna honor me as a teacher. Therefore, if you see me as a teacher, let me instruct you. Do you understand honor creates access? Huh? Honor, when he honored him as a teacher, he opened himself and gave access to the Lord for him to teach him. And he said, teacher, my teacher. And Jesus said, truth, truth, I will give you. You must be born again. Truth, truth. One of the things he's telling Nicodemus is your whole system of thinking is completely off. The sum total of your faith system amounts to zero. Everything that you have done has created nothing. Everything that you have done connects to nothing. This is a message for the church today. Is the accumulation of all that we've done produces zero, then we might not be operating in the kingdom. If everything we do produces nothing or does not bring anything forth that bears the fruit of what Jesus intends, then what we're doing just might be not kingdom. Just a thought. They had all their systems. They had all the worship. They had all the accoutrements, man. If there was the light show, they would have it. You know what the light show was? The priest's robes. They'd come up there, glitter, oons, 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 come up before the people. Rock stars. Rock stars, the whole system was built on rock stars and strict adherence to the law. (laughs) Jesus says, truth, truth. You want instruction? I'm gonna give it to you. You gotta be born again. Just to show you how separated Nicodemus was from spirituality, he he couldn't even relate what Jesus was saying. He immediately went rational. (laughs) Again, I'm gonna tell you, this is the American church. Everything is rational. Every single thing is rational. Everything's explained, everything's explained away, everything's explained, we got our reasons for it, and if it's not rational, we don't believe it. It'll be biblical, you can rest assured, but it don't necessarily mean it's rational. Jesus rising from the dead, is that, anybody wanna tell me how rational that is? Is that rational at all? Huh? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, the Holy Spirit comes into you and you're saved. Is there there any ration? Can you explain that? You can't create a math equation to define that. You can't explain any of this. It's because it's not rational. It's spiritual. But here's Nicodemus. Jesus is giving him a deep, profound spiritual truth and his perspective of it was, so what am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? Like, duh, you know? And Jesus is like, okay, I'll give you a hint. Unless you're born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He uses two things. You can't see it, you can't enter it. It's important. The kingdom can be seen. The kingdom can be entered. A lot of Christians have entered it, but but they can't even see it. They don't even know where they are. They're in the kingdom and have no perspective of the reality in which they stand. They have no perspective of the promises, the power, the purpose that is over their life, blind. But they're in the kingdom. They just can't see it. Can't see it. That's another story. (laughs) Jesus, I I, I told you I had to rewrite my notes, so I'm kind of going, I'm going with this, right? You guys here? Am I too heavy? Too heavy this morning? All right. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Because he lacked spiritual perspective. 
It wasn't a rational thing Jesus was talking about. It was a supernatural perspective. And he tells him, why are you marvel at this? Flesh, he starts speaking. So what Jesus is about to do, Jesus is going to speak Old Testament language to the Old Testament master. That's about what, he, that's what he's going to do. There's nothing cryptic here. It's cryptic to us because we don't understand the Old Testament. This would not have been cryptic to Nicodemus. He would have known exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, flesh begets flesh, spirit begets spirit. To a Jew, they would have known that flesh is where the corruption is. They would have known that. that that's thematically true through the whole scripture. The flesh is corrupt. Man is lost. They would have known that. So when Jesus is saying to him, it's not born of the flesh, bro. Only thing flesh can produce is flesh. You cannot produce spirit through the flesh. You can't. You've got to get into the spirit in order to produce the spirit. Just a statement. And so Jesus is talking to them about flesh begets flesh, spirit begets spirit. He speaks to them in verses 5 and 6 about water and about spirit. Throw the slide up there, Alex. Ezekiel, do you have it? This is a direct reference to Ezekiel 20. This is what Jesus is referencing. Nicodemus, who was a student of the prophets, would have known this. He would have known this. I will spread clean water upon you, and then you shall be clean. And I will clean you from all your filthiness and all of your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will put a new heart in you and a new spirit, and I will I put upon you. And I will take away the stony heart and a heart of flesh, and I will give you a heart, and I will and, and give you a heart, uh, and I will give you a heart of a, a, a living heart. Is what it's saying. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. He's referencing Ezekiel. This wouldn't have been something that that Nicodemus would have been fuzzy about. In Jeremiah, in Isaiah, all all of the Old Testament prophets, specifically the the, the majors, all of them, every one of them referenced the new birth. So when people say Nicodemus didn't know what he was talking about, Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about. But Nicodemus couldn't conceptualize it. He couldn't understand how this was possible. But he knew what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus gives him a hint, talks about water and spirit. New birth was a mega theme. Exodus, the birth of the nation coming out of Egypt. It was called the birth of the nation. They saw that as the nation being born again. So this concept of being born again was not fuzzy to these people. They understood it, particularly their leaders. Jeremiah, I will birth a new people. Isaiah, I will birth a new people. Ezekiel not only does it in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel Ezekiel 11, he says the same thing. I will put a new heart in you. I will circumcise you. I will take you away from that which is old. I will bring you into that which is new. All of that's New Testament language, but it's in the Old Testament. And so Jesus wasn't trying to trip the guy up. Jesus wasn't trying to be really mystical and really zen and let me tell you something really cool, Nicodemus. He was speaking his language. He was speaking what he would have understood, and Nicodemus couldn't get it. The Pharisees were the masters of the prophets, Masters. They had, to, they had to recite the entire book of Daniel. The whole book of Daniel, they had to recite it. Is that nuts? And you know what the theme of the, the book of Daniel is? Son of man. <laughs> and you know, what, you know what number one title Jesus used when he was talking to him? Son of man. Why did he do that? Because he knew who these people were. He'd go, son of man, son of man, son of man, son of man. Right? He threw out their language. And he forced them to come to terms that I, he says, you search the scriptures for you think that's where life comes from, but the scriptures are that which testify of me. Eh? 
supernatural transaction. So here's what happens. Jesus is speaking his language. Nicodemus is not fuzzy. I'm here to tell you, this guy wasn't fuzzy. His thing is, how, how then is this possible? This was his question. He understood it, but he's like, I don't understand how this is possible. Because they were completely void of the Spirit. Completely void of the Holy Spirit. Completely. And he, so Nicodemus says, how is it possible? You know what Jesus says? Are you serious? Are you serious? How did you get to the position you are holding without knowing this? I just watched a panel of pastors. I'm going to say this right into the camera. I just watched a panel of pastors, and I could name them. They're all young guys. They're all, you know, they're all like, you know, dressing like they're 14, and they're all like 40, right? But all these young guys sitting on this panel, and they were asking them direct questions. What is sin? They couldn't answer it. What is redemption? They couldn't answer it. And I'm sitting here watching these guys, and I'm like, are you serious? You know? And there was a theologian that was sitting up there, an older guy, who happens to actually know his Bible, they, I think they brought him home just, to, just as an ornament in case, in case we don't know what we're talking about, make us look smart. And this guy would say, well, sin is this, and redemption is this, and salvation is this, and none of them could answer it. What would Jesus say to pastors that are holding the pulpit and don't understand regeneration? What would Jesus say to pastors who don't understand human depravity, which is the two doctrines Jesus is talking about here? We have motivational speakers that hold the pulpits of America, and you wonder why, why your country rots? You wonder? We're the salt of the earth, and when we stop throwing salt on the meat, it goes south. We're motivational speakers. This is what the church has become. Your best life now. Yay. Narcissus. We preach Jesus. Jesus is so infatuated with you. He's so in love with you. He's so on your agenda, you don't even know. That's not in the text. It sounds good. It feeds the flesh. It feeds our, you know, our illustrious, glorious self. Jesus is infatuated with me, glorious me. Jesus is not infatuated with you. He's infatuated with himself and his glory. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. Seek first the what? That's right. That's right. Jesus isn't on your, let me tell everybody out there. Jesus is not on your agenda. He is on his agenda. And you have been invited to get on his agenda with him. You understand this? Narsa Jesus, man. Are you teaching my, you cannot be serious. Jesus would be looking at him like, you're teaching my people and you don't understand basic things? Bible says all should not seek to be teachers for such will face a stricter judgment. There's an accountability and I'm well aware that I'm accountable for everything that comes out of my mouth. I'm not only accountable for what comes out of my mouth, you know what I'm accountable for? The type of people that are produced through the teaching that I give. Did I make them slaves? Did I make them free? Did I make them fans or did I make them disciples? We create a generation of fans. This is the American church. Soon as tragedy confronts this culture, the church scatters to the hills. We are not supposed to do that. We're the ones who are supposed to step up, not run and hide. And yet we run and hide. Again, not the Bible. Not the Bible. And we teach weak. 
And we create fans when we're called to create disciples. How do you know if you're a fan? Does you faint in the day of adversity? When hardship comes at you, does your faith go stronger? Do you lean in or do you run? Huh? Do you draw from or do you push away? If you push away, you're a fan. You're not a disciple. Needs to be said, Christian. Needs to be said. Clarity has to come. In the midst of confusion, we have to have clarity. That's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures, John 3.10, when Jesus is like, are you teaching my people? And I knew when I taught, I better know what I'm talking about. And if there's a subject I don't know what I'm talking about, I need to be like Job, put my hand over my mouth and say nothing. But I'm called to lead you into the word of God. Jesus was called rabbi first, teacher he taught them. He sat down on the mountain and he taught them. Everywhere he went, he taught them. He didn't rah-rah them, he taught them. Taught them. Another story, another day. <laughs> we have Nicodemus, we have the conversation, and we have the topics. There's two topics that Jesus was talking to him about. He's talking about being born again. Well, what's that? And then he's talking to him about the kingdom. Well, what's that? Being born again. Here's what you have to understand. All of us are born of Adam. Right? This is scripture. I'm giving you what the Bible teaches. We were all born and created through the, God created a, he created a man. This should erase all gender confusion right now. He created a man and he created a woman. Everybody say it with me. Jesus, come on, this is, this is okay. If you're under the age of 20, you might choke on the, what I'm about to say, but it's okay, it's gonna do you good. Jesus created them male and female, no questions. Yes. <laughs> you don't have the right to define gender. Man does not have the right to define right and wrong. It's not your privy. And you see what happens when man starts defining right and wrong, watch your society unravel at the threads. When man moves the ancient boundary stones and says, well, God says this, but we say that. Or there is no God, we're going to make it up as we go along. Good luck. The world quickly descends into chaos. You watch it in your eyes. I mean, most of us, like the young people, they don't know any better. But some of us who've lived a few decades on this planet, you're seeing things in this decade that you've never seen before in your life, and you're wondering why. Because the church has been weak and apathetic and will not speak truth. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to offend anyone. You know what Jesus is called? A scandalon. Anybody know what scandalon means? Rock of offense. If you think Jesus isn't going to offend you, you don't know Jesus. Do you know what a scandalon actually is used for? It's called a smiting stone, a striking stone. So when the Bible uses that Jesus is a rock of offense, it uses the Greek word scandalon. What does he strike? Your pride, your arrogance, your perspective, your selfishness, your ego, what you think you know. So what he just told Nicodemus, you know nothing. Everything that you've accumulated and all this knowledge that you think is right, you don't know a thing. The system that you've created, your system of thinking, your system of worship, your system of society has produced zero. That's what he's telling him, one of the things. And then he tells him he must be born again. Why do we need to be born again? Because we're all born of Adam. Adam's sin, can we agree? Yes. Yeah. What did he do? He didn't, he didn't just, would Adam disobey God? No, he pushed God away. The sin of Adam wasn't eating a fruit. The sin of Adam was saying, I will be God. 
I will be like you. I deny you, right? That's what Adam did. He wanted to be God. And that's what we do with our moral, with our moral viewpoints and the way that we do. We're God. We are God. Oh, it's crazy. It's madness if you want to know it. And so then you have, so we're all born of Adam. Adam's sin, when he renounced God, he, he brought within himself. Sin came into to Adam. Once you understand this concept. So sin came into Adam, and the Bible uses the word iniquity. So you and I are not necessarily born in sin, although that's a safe thing to say. What we are is we're born in iniquity, which means it's a transference of sin through the bloodline. So all of us in Adam are under the iniquity of Adam, right? So throw it up there, Romans 5. I'll show it to you. By one man sent into the world, one man, Adam, and death by sin. So death passed upon all, for all have sinned. Right? So you're born with sin. All those cute little babies back there, they're sinners. They need Jesus. Right? When they get two years old, see that little baby right there? You're like, how could this baby, this baby is perfect. This baby is born. This baby is like Jesus, a gift from Jesus. And they get like three or four years old, and you're praying, oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, <laughs> save this child. We're born in sin. We're born in iniquity. This has to be clarified too because people think, well, God's sending people to hell. The Lord is not sending anyone to hell. If people go, you're already condemned. That's right. Jesus is called Savior, is he not? What's he saving us from? Our own condemnation. The thing that we're born under, man chose death instead of life. But the Lord in his mercy, ready, did not want to leave us in that condition. So he created an option for us to come out of that condition. And those that will come out of that condition pass from, the Bible uses this language, death to life. And you are no longer condemned, the eternal condemnation. It's not that you're perfect, but the eternal condemnation that hangs over you is now removed. And you come into life and you're born again and you're forever forgiven and you belong to the Lord and he adopts you as his child. This is the truth. So we're born in Adam. We come out of Adam. We're born according to the blood of Adam. When we're born again, we're born by the blood of what? Jesus. Answer is always Jesus around here. So in case you ever wonder, it doesn't matter. If I say one plus one equals two and you say Jesus, we're going to give you a gold star. You win. That's always the answer. <laughs> and so we're born by the blood of Jesus. We have to be born again. We are born out of Adam and into Christ. Bible says that Adam is, Jesus is the last Adam. First Adam failed. Jesus came as the last Adam to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and to give us an opportunity to come into him and become born again because we're born of Adam, therefore we must be born again. And we, come, we pass from death to life. 1 Corinthians 15. For sin, for sin came by man. For since, death, since by man, yeah, he's got King James. I want a new King James. I'm getting, thrown, I'm getting thrown by the words. Sorry, it's no problem. Uh, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all live. He came where Adam failed because of the lineage of Adam. Jesus comes to start a new lineage, right? We're all sons and daughters of Adam by physical birth. We come to Christ. We become sons and daughters of Jesus, right? Much better deal. I highly recommend it. (laughs) 
so the second thing he talks about is kingdom. And then we're talking about just how do you become, how, what, if, in case you're not born again, hang on. You're going to have a chance. Don't turn it off. Don't stream. Don't run for the door. It's all good. It's the best choice, decision you'll ever make in your life. Believe me. And then he tells him about the kingdom. He says, you cannot see it without being born again. You don't have any spiritual perception or awareness of what the kingdom actually is. The only thing sinners know is that they're lost and under sin. That's the only thing they know. That's why the gospel has the power within it of salvation. The message itself carries it. So regeneration is an act of God. We speak to the person. You're hopeless and helpless without Christ. You are a sinner. Another word we don't like to use in church. You're a sinner. You're lost, but you don't, you, you all are saints. You all are sons and daughters. In Christ, you're no longer a sinner. You're a son and daughter. That thing's gone, okay? Sinner Kevin's long gone. Doesn't mean Kevin doesn't sin. He still does, but I'm still, I'm a son, and, I'm a son who sins. I'm not a sinner who sins. You see the difference? Yeah, it's a big difference. And so he talks to him about the kingdom, and he says, you're not even going to be able to perceive and understand what the kingdom is unless you're born again. And then he says, you're not even going to be able to enter the kingdom unless you're born again. How are you born again? This is the question. Well, what exactly is the kingdom? Say it with me. The kingdom, this is important, is the king's dominion. It means the king's dominance. So when you become to Jesus, you give your spirit to him, my life into yours, and you are, you now, your spirit, your eternal spirit comes under the dominion of Jesus. So the Lord now, even though he has the final word on everyone, the Lord now claims you. Your spirit is now owned by Jesus. So let's just play a game here. Um, uh, do pigs like mud? Anybody? Yeah, they love mud, don't they? People always ask me, how do I know if I'm a Christian? You know, I used to do all these crazy things. I asked Jesus in my heart, you know, and uh, I just don't know if I'm there or not. And I always ask them what changed, and everybody has a subtle change. But it really, another easy one is, is that when you get in the mud, do you roll in it or do you cry out? Huh? Remember when you didn't know Jesus? You loved the mud, man. You loved it. Up till dawn, party on, didn't matter, you know, use people, abuse people. You almost had no conscience for it. The only person you thought of was you, the glorious me, myself, and I. That's a pig wallowing in the mud. When you come to Christ and you get in circumstances and situations, you cry out. That's what happens with a lamb. It cries for the shepherd to come and get it out of the mud. So you want to identify the heart change. People can identify the heart change in all of these different ways. And people tell me they don't cuss. And people tell me they can forgive. And people tell me they can see colors. There is a shift that happens with you. There is something that happens with you. And you're born again. And an easy one is where are you now? The things that you used to do, you don't do anymore. That's the issue. So it's the king's dominance. When you come to Christ and you give the dominance of Jesus, now you are giving legal authority over your spirit. You have to repent. Repent means return. Do you know why you have to return? Because your ancestor left. Adam said, we out, and he left, you know, and he went his own way. All we like sheep have gone our own way, Isaiah 53. And the Lord has laid upon him what? The iniquity. Not the sin. He uses the word iniquity. The Lord has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. So the crucifixion of Christ was about the issue in the bloodline to enable us to return to him. And we return to him through repentance. Hebrew word is teshuva. It means come back. Greek words metanoia, live differently or see differently. Well, you're not going to live differently or see differently until you first come back. And you have to come back to Jesus and you call him Lord. 
Come on, let's just do an exercise in therapy here. Let me help you. I'm going to really free you. Why don't you say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Yeah, he's Lord. We confess Christ as Lord. We're, he's Lord, we're not. That's the essence. That's the exchange. And when we do that, that legal transaction takes place. And what, we, what was now outside of the kingdom is now in the kingdom. In the kingdom, you're given forgiveness. You're given a new identity. You're sons and daughters. Everybody say it with me. Rise, Rise. to the level of my birth. Your sons and daughters are the highest. Why are you making that decision? Why are you going to that place, son and daughter? Why do you lower yourself, son and daughter? Rise to the level of your birth. You're given title. <laughs> You're given status. You're seated in heavenly places. You're given position. You're an heir of this world and the one to come. You're given power. You're given promises. And you're given purpose. This is the kingdom. And all of those things, these are the threads that we work out. We don't create a church culture. We create a kingdom culture. This is what the church is supposed to do. It's not supposed to create a church culture or a culture culture. It's supposed to create a kingdom culture where the threads of the kingdom begin to be born in the lives of the people. Amen. High five to the baby who's amen me down there. <laughs> so how do you become born again? All right, this is the answer. The Bible tells us. You know, skeptics always say, there's no, Jesus never gave a remedy to be born again in John chapter 3. No, but it's all throughout the Bible, right? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Everybody thinks the kingdom's in the sweet by and by. No, the kingdom's in the broken here and now. The kingdom's not yet to come. The kingdom is now. John 4, return to me for the kingdom is here. Luke 17, the kingdom is in your midst. Why is it in your midst? Because Jesus brought it with him. Amen. He brought it with him. It's not out there, Christian. It's now. That's a lie of the devil to rob you of the promises and the power and the purposes of God. Stop believing the lie. Don't be Nicodemus thinking you have it all right when you're woefully wrong. Believe me. <laughs> you required repentance. Repentance means to come back. How do you born again? Repentance, right? John says you must, or excuse me, uh, Romans, you can throw that verse up there. I use this all the time. You're to return with an acknowledgement. So we come back to Jesus and we confess with our mouths. Everybody say it, with the mouth. With the mouth. Right? With the mouth. We have to say something. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus likes me a little bit vocal. He likes it. Right? He likes vocal. He likes interaction. He likes dialogue. He just does. So that's why I like to talk to him, because he likes dialogue. That's why I like to get you talking. Do you know why? Because he likes his people talking. Right? Not my thing. It's his thing. So let's, hey, let's say some things. Jesus likes it. If you, believe, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has risen him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in your heart, not in your head. Say it with me. Believe in my heart, not in my head. Say this. I don't have to understand it in order to receive it. He didn't tell you you have to come go and go and learn a theological breakdown, and then once you've got it theologically broken down, then you can come into the kingdom. He said all you got to do is open your heart. All you got to do is just believe without understanding that this is true. It's like sitting in a chair. You don't understand that. You don't, does anybody here? Well, we might have a few people. We got some really smart people in the room. Someone is going to go, I do. You know, weight distribution. You don't understand weight distribution, right? And the way that the chair is structured in order to distribute weight. You don't understand that, but you trust that that chair is going to put you down. You don't understand lift and thrust, right, for a jet. But you get on that plane, 
But you don't, have, you don't understand the law of, of aerial dynamics and all of these other things. You don't understand any of that, but you believe it, right? It is possible to put faith and trust in something without understanding it. And this is the issue. And so we're gonna, I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to say a prayer here as a group. And if you're watching my live stream, I cannot talk about being born again without giving you an opportunity to receive and to become born again. You say, what's going to happen? You're going to open your heart, and Jesus is going to come in. This is what makes Christians unique. We can't explain this, but we can all say, Jesus is in me. I don't know why. I don't know how. I just prayed. I opened my heart, and the Lord came into me, and my life is never the same. Our faith is alive, and so we're going to pray a prayer, and we're going to give you that opportunity, and life's going to change. It's a 40-minute, 40 40, not a 40-minute, a 40-second <laughs> prayer. Carmen's like, dear Jesus, no. A 40-minute prayer. It's a 40-second prayer that'll change your everything. So we're going to pray together. I want to open your heart. Just say this. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand any of this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life, all that I am. I give to you and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Hey, we have a prayer team available. If you need prayer for anything, these people are ready and willing to pray for you. Right? So that's, a, that's another thing. But we want to dismiss right now. Please take advantage of the prayer team. Taco bar. We got a taco bar here. What? Anyway, let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.